Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the book of Daniel. We're taking a, uh, taking a, a brief series in the life of uh, this prophet, servant, in a land, uh, in the land of Babylon, a land that uh, that was um, no friend to him, no friend to the life that he had that he had learned uh, growing up, um, no friend to um, to his way of life and to his thinking. But uh, Daniel thrived uh, during these years, and we're going to see a little bit more of how that occurred. We're going to be continuing in the next section here in uh, Daniel. I'm going well, to read the section I didn't read last week when we were looking at it. We're going to start reading in verse 29 and read down to the end of the chapter again as we, uh, as we see, look at the dream that Daniel did interpret for the king. So let's read. You can follow along. Starting in verse 29. As you were lying there, O king... Your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the earth. This is what the dream... This, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of, king, God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made, them, made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will... Uh, have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture, will 
not remain united uh, any more than the iron mixes with clay. In the time of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold to pieces. The God of heaven has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering, be, uh, that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all uh, its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as ministers over the province of Babylon, where Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would uh, impress upon us its meaning, give our minds an understanding, our hearts a captivation, uh, uh, our lives, uh, our will, a desire to follow you. Lord, do this for your glory that your kingdom might expand in the earth and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite uh, plays uh, and uh, movie, uh, they made a movie of the play, is called Les Miserables. Um, it's, a story, uh, it's a story following several characters, for, as it were, from rags to riches and from riches to rags. Um, and it's... It, it's, uh, it's um, uh, one of the characters in the show, uh, in the in the movie um, Les Misérables, is a, a woman named Fantine, um, and she's one of the she's one of the characters that her her life seems to be going well at one point, and then to the, uh, due to circumstances uh, that are beyond her control, she ends up getting into greater and greater uh, oppressive situations and finds herself alone and destitute and lost and abused and uh, in, in a pretty bleak situation. She ultimately um, she ultimately dies in the story um, with, without uh, any without anything and ends up having to leave her daughter. To another, to, to be taken care of by another man who's finding his way in the world um, to find redemption. Um, she sings a song in that movie, from, from the, and the name of the song I've used as the title of our sermon, "I Dreamed a Dream." And in that, in that story, uh, in that song, she's describing what in her mind, how thing, she's describing the course of her life and some of the some of the things she describes. I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life was worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. In those days, then, I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted, and there was no ransom. There was no ransom to be paid. There was no song unsung, no wine untasted. The end of the song, she's describing how... Uh, 
in, in her hopes and in her desires and what she dreamed the world would be and what, what she was experiencing the world to be was much different than what she's experiencing the world is in the moment in her destitution. In the end of the song, she says, so different now from what I, from what I dreamed. Now life has killed the dream I dream. Uh, the disillusionment of her dreams the disillusionment of what she imagined uh, the way life would go. The reason I describe that is because there's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed a dream, and Daniel is interpreting that dream, and what he's, what he's bringing to what he's telling us in this experience is that often our dreams reflect the way we hope and expect the world to to go, that our hopes and our dreams and our expectations are, uh, are what we sink our roots into. And what Daniel, what, what Daniel is discovering and interpreting for the king is basically saying, be careful what you sink your roots into. Be careful what you put your hope into. And He's telling this, you know, and, and here you have in this experience, you've got, you've got both lives represented in this interaction. King Nebuchadnezzar is the top of the heap. He's the head of gold. He's, he's got everything. He wants for nothing. He is, in, he is living the dream, you might say. And in that same moment, you have Daniel, who had his life torn away, had his family ripped from his bosom, had his, and he was taken out of his own homeland and, from, and away from his people and thrust into an oppressive culture. And he is basically living in this, in this context a glorified, a glorified slave's life in Babylon, child of God. You have people at both ends of the spectrum. And there's a and there's a part of uh, there's a part of when you, when you when you look at the life of Daniel, you might say, well, how how is Daniel understanding his own experience? Is is his life turning out the way he dreamed it would turn out? How is Daniel uh, how is Daniel's uh, experience in life? His his life could very much be understood. He could very much understand his own life the same way that Fontaine's song interprets her own life. I thought it was going to go one way. I thought it was going to be a place, a, a time where uh, life was worth living, where things were, uh, where, where people were kind and, were, and where God was forgiving. But it doesn't seem to be that right now. It seems like life has killed my dream. That's where it could be in the life of Daniel. And then God gives the king a message through his own dream about where do I find hope? And, what, and, and hope, and when I, when I talk about these terms, hope and dreams and kingdoms, the, I, I, want us, I want us to understand it. I want to, I want to be clear about how I'm using those terms. Hope is that thing that I place my, that it's placing my root system in. It's placing my sense of satisfaction in. Hope is what we do when we, when we are looking for something beyond what we are experiencing. 
And when you think of your own life, what do you, what do you hope for? What do you dream about? What do you, what do you imagine? What are, your, what are your, you know, some people talk, talk, talk about it in terms of what's on your bucket list. Bucket list, you're familiar with that, with that term? It's what you want to do before you kick the bucket. The things you put on your list, things you want to, as it were, accomplish, see, experience before you kick the bucket. Those are sort of hopeful things, uh, dreams, um, expectations, aspects, elements of life. Or maybe, maybe when you dream, when you hope, what sort of hopes do you have about the world you live in? What, what do you hope for your community? What do you hope for your for the world in which we exist, for, your, for, your, for, the, for in, in our world, the, the kingdom of America. What do you hope for that kingdom? Internationally, around the world, what do you hope for this season of culture, this season of life in which and each, each of us has a, a spectrum of time? What do you hope for that spectrum of time? That's what, that's what in a sense, Fantine is singing about but when we, put our, when we have these dreams, when we put our hopes, when we have expectations, ultimately that's what we're, we're imagining. And in those moments of hope, we are, we are putting the weight of our life, we're putting the root system of our identity and of our satisfaction on those things. And the dream that Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing, the dream that Daniel is interpreting is telling us, as, we, as I said earlier, calling us to question what are we putting our root system in? What are, what are we put, casting our hope upon? And, and when Daniel interprets, he, tells, he shows him what his dream was, and then Daniel interprets the dream by starting with, starting with the king. He says, King, you've had a dream about human history. And human history, basically what he's saying is, and the dream is pretty, it's pretty basic. It's pretty simple to understand in a sense. And it's almost as if the king, as we said last week, it's almost as if the king knows what the dream means. He's just looking for confirmation. He wants to have a sense of, am I, am I hearing this right? Am I, is, it, is this dream, is, does it have meaning in my experience? Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to believe it? And Daniel says, yes, believe it. The dream is real, the dream is true, and the interpretation is reliable. Here's the interpretation. The dream is about you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the head of gold. And you're living on top of the world. Your kingdom is the greatest of all kingdoms in human history currently and moving forward. But he's giving him a dream about how human history is going to progress. And it's going to be one kingdom after another kingdom after another. And as great as your kingdom is, it's not going to last. As great as your kingdom is, as great as your, as great as your expectations are, as great as your hope is, as much, as, you, as much opulence and as much glory as you are experiencing, it's going to come to an end. And then that next one, that's going to come to an end too. And then when that one's done, that one will come to an end. And then they kind of all get progressively worse as, as human history progresses. From you, Nebuchadnezzar. 
The world's full of kingdoms. The world's full of, full of, uh, full of, and, and, and uh, just so we're clear, um, what, what, what do we mean when we say kingdom? Because I told you, I'm, I'm operating with terms that are very similar in their spectrum of meaning. Hope, dreams, kingdom. Well, God tells us, Daniel tells us what a kingdom is. This is, in, if you look at uh, verse 37, you, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed mankind and the birds of the field and, uh, and, the, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. A kingdom offers power, might, and glory. A kingdom, Daniel says, a kingdom is the thing where we find power, where we find might, and where we find glory. A kingdom is what gives us a sense of power over, over others, a, 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 a power to to control, a power to maintain, a power to bring about that which I desire. A kingdom provides, it offers protection, might, safety, security. A kingdom provides me with a sense of stability in its might. A kingdom offers glory, a sense of pride, a sense of identity, a, 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 a sense of prestige and acceptance. This is what kingdoms do. And so what we do is whenever we're trying to find power whenever we're, or control, whenever we're trying to find a sense of security, whenever we're trying to find a sense of, of, um, of uh, glory or, or a sense of pride or a sense of confidence or identity, all of those things are an attempt to bring about a kingdom in our own making in our own world, and whether they be a small kingdom of your, own, of your own making in your own world, that is your living room, your experience, your community, your family, even just the kingdom of your own self. That's what you're putting your hope in. That's what you're putting your roots in. That's your own personal world of dominion so that I can have control. I can't, I can't control my job. I can't control my community, but I can control my family. I can control my own, my own desires, my own sense. I can, I can find glory. What is it? And so whatever you are trying to find, wherever you're finding your glory or your identity or sense of satisfaction or your hope or your, or your security, that is your kingdom. And what the dream is saying is if you put your hope in kingdoms made with your hands... It will always be destroyed, just like every earthly human kingdom is destroyed, one after the other. The point of the story is, the point of the story is about the rock. The point of the story, the point of the story, the point of the dream, and the thing that was troubling Nebuchadnezzar is, I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want my kingdom to be destroyed. I don't, I don't, I'm finding an, un, an uneasiness that, uh, that my kingdom, that what I've built for myself is going to be crushed to powder. So, you know, so much so, it says that it was destroyed to bits and then 
blown away like, like chaff on the, the threshing floor in the summertime. Summertime, dry, hot, and it became little crumbly dust, blown away. And there was no trace of it ever again because of the rock. The one true kingdom that wasn't built by human hands. He mentions that twice. Daniel mentions it twice in the dream, in the interpretation, that there's this rock not cut out, of, not cut out by human hands, wasn't made by anybody on the earth, wasn't made by, by human experience. It was made by God himself. He cut the rock out. And there, there are three things we notice about this kingdom. And um, three things we notice that I want to look at in a minute. But what the point of the dream is, is that, is that there's only one there's only one place where we can find everlasting hope, everlasting confidence. What is a kingdom? Dominion and power, glory, might and security. And what the point of the dream is is if we're putting our hope, our sense of security, our sense of identity and anything else, those kingdoms will always be destroyed. They have no lasting power. They have no lasting ability to maintain our sense of glory and power and, and, and safety. Only one kingdom does, and it's the kingdom that, is, that comes from God through the rock that is not cut by human hands. Three things we notice about this, about this rock. Number one, it's not a human kingdom. It's not, human, it's, not cut out by, it's not cut by man. It's a godly kingdom. It's, it's God's kingdom come to earth. God and, and Jesus, when he, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Whenever he would tell a parable, the kingdom of God is such and such. He's telling them all of his parables, all of his teaching, all of his miracles, all of his uh, re revelation of himself is an attempt to say the things that Daniel was describing in his and the prophets were describing about that king which would come, the Messiah, who is God's anointed one, God's chosen one, God's hewn rock spiritual king out of heaven would come, is now here. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus sent out the 70 to go amongst the nations, to go amongst the towns and to heal their diseases, and to, he says, tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom, power, control, might and security, safety, glory, identity, hope, that kingdom that the only one that will last, the only thing that we can put our hope into has arrived and is now growing. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. We can't, we're never going to find our hope or our satisfaction in the things of this world, which, which is what Daniel's describing. The second thing we notice about this is that the kingdom, the rock, is the, is the least valuable substance in the whole dream. It's the, it's the, it's the, the, the element in the dream that has no value whatsoever. Gold, silver, bronze, all very valuable. Iron has great power, destroys all the others. You know, even clay has a certain, you know, we, we carve things and we, and we, and we, uh, 
And we make things out of clay, pottery, and wonderful, beautiful things. Rocks, what do we do with those? We kick them around. There's nothing special about them. They, they're just, it's just a rock. It's unassuming. No one would think anything could come from a rock. And when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to the kingdom that Christ is building, it says of Jesus that he was the stone the builders rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that, no, that when people would look at him, they, they, that, they, that he was nothing special. And there's a sense where Jesus has been rejected from the very time he came on the earth. As, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, um, when people were, were talking about Jesus in his, in his day, uh, they referred to, isn't this, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? What has he got to say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where Jesus was from. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Stones, rocks, it says. The rock that is not hewn by human hands, that comes to us from out of our world. It's not a human world. It's not a human rock or human system. It comes the kingdom that will ultimately be our hope and security and glory and satisfaction is, comes from outside of us. It, is, it, is, it, it gets seen as of no account. And the same thing could be said of all those who follow Jesus, that just as he was rejected as having no account, no value, no power, no ability in this world, rejected by man... As, and, and rejected, rejected not so much because they heard and discerned what he was saying and rejected him out, of course, but simply rejected him because it, by his very nature, by his very uh, it, it, seemingly valueless basis in this world, just simply cast aside. And there's a sense where God's people and the message of the gospel are also cast aside in a world that is looking for gold and silver and bronze kingdoms with, with legitimate earthly human power. When, when history, not just the history of this dream, but, the, but history tells us, do kingdoms last? Does anything last of, of that nature in this world? No. And what, what is what is the great uh, what, what did the great historian once say that if we are not if we if we do not if we're not students of history we're doomed to repeat it. Repeating, putting my weight on an earthly kingdom, on an earthly way, on an, on a on a human on a human system of control and security and hopefulness and identity and satisfaction. When Daniel's telling the king, don't sink your teeth into what you're building. Don't sink your life into what you're making because it will ultimately fade away. And yet human history has again and again and humanity again and again wants to put our hope in the things that will not last. When Daniel's saying, put your hope in the one, the rock 
that doesn't seem like anything and that no one thinks is valuable, it will ultimately crush everything else. Crush it in terms of, in terms of destroying it as a way of life and destroying it as a, as a system of control and hope and satisfaction. Crush it in terms of becoming for the world the, op, the true and one hope into which we can place our roots and grow. The other thing we notice, we notice that the kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. We notice that the, the rock, that the, the hope for all the world is not, uh, is not something that seems at face value to be, to have any significance. What significance does the gospel have? What significance does Christ have for this world? To understand the significance that Christ has for this world, to understand the value that the gospel has for this world and for your life requires, requires a spiritual unveiling of the eyes. So it's, go, it's not going to make sense to a world. What good is Jesus for the world? What good is the gospel for our culture? It doesn't make sense to human experience because it comes from outside this world into a broken world. Where I place my hope is meaningful. Where I place my sense of significance is meaningful. It, when Daniel was hearing this message, when Daniel, you know, it's hard for me to, under, it's hard for me to, to, to know because the story doesn't exactly tell us in great detail. What, was the dream for Nebuchadnezzar? And certainly Daniel felt that way. He, was, he says, I'm going to tell you, uh, the Lord has given me this revelation so that you, O king, can understand but yet, Daniel's hearing this. How do you think Daniel felt about this dream? What do you think Daniel's eye, when he heard the dream and understood the interpretation after he and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed to receive a, a, an interpretation, how do you think Daniel felt about this dream, given that he was living as a slave in an oppressed culture? He was in the basement, in the bottom of his experience. His life was not going the way he imagined. And then he, hears, he, then he hears a dream and interprets it that says, the kingdom that is oppressing you will not last, but the kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom of which you are a part is going to grow and grow and grow and ultimately fill the earth. That's the last thing that we notice about the kingdom. The rock. It's, it's God's rock, not man's rock. And that kingdom, that rock who as Christ comes into the world, it seems unassuming and insignificant to a world. But that gospel and that, and that rock, that kingdom, it grows. And just as anything, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't, you know, when something grows, it doesn't like when a child grows, they don't, they're not born and then, you know, when you put a plant in the, in the ground, it doesn't, you know, you put a seed, it doesn't the next day into the, full, into the full plant. Growth requires time. Growth requires patience. Growth is, growth is, also, um, growth is also subversive. Do you know what I mean when I say subversive? Growth is, growth happens without our knowledge. Growth happens secretly, under the surface. It happens, uh, it, it, you know, when the farmer puts the seed in and then suddenly, it, it, you know, a sprout grows up, you know, overnight. What happened? How did that occur? It was unbeknownst growth. 
And just, and then, you know, over time, suddenly we go, what happened? It was something that was small, just became, we were talking about, chatting about that this morning. And when we see all the homecoming pictures of all the, all the dance pictures that we saw on Facebook last night and this morning, you know, for some of you, you look at those, at those uh, men and women, those young men and, and women who went to the dance, you go, I knew them when they were just a tiny little, I can't believe how much they've grown. That's exactly what we were saying. Because growth is subversive. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Christ is bringing, the kingdom that is going to destroy every other kingdom that is going to become, that is going to supplant every other, it seems unassuming, it seems insignificant, but it's growing. Little by little, it's growing. Little by little, it's infecting and filling and changing and transforming the world without anyone noticing. The power of the kingdom is in its subversive infection. Just as prolific as this pandemic we're in and the, and the lengths to which we go to make sure that it's not that passed on, that it doesn't become contagious. There's a sense where the gospel is the most contagious disease that we've ever known. The gospel of Christ, the grace of God, the love of a Savior who gives us his favor through the work of Jesus as we trust in it, as we, as we repent of our own culpability, and he gives us that grace and his righteousness heart by heart, life by life, moment by moment, grows and infects a dying, struggling world that has placed its hope. It's building its kingdoms on aspects to try to bring control, safety, and glory to itself. And Jesus says, if you're looking for safety, if you're looking for control, if you're looking for glory, put your life, sink the, sink the roots of your life into the kingdom that ultimately will, will fill the earth with that. personal kingdom who, who, who isn't just in a, in a it's, it's not just an ideology, it's not just a philosophy, it's not just a, it's not just a governmental party or a, or a system of, of, a, of a system of, of, of moral codes or proverbs. It is a person, a relationship with the person, the king of that kingdom. And as we sink the roots of our lives into him and into our relationship with him, we, it, it provides for all those inhabitants in the kingdom that, that, that this subversive, growing, powerful kingdom is touching. It provides control and hope of safety and glory. It's the only kingdom that lasts. But it's not any kingdom that the world gets. And you and I don't get it. So it's not like we can point our finger at the rest of the world and go, you know, your problem is you don't get that the kingdom of God is at hand. No. Daniel needed to hear this too. Daniel needed to hear this because otherwise he might be overly discouraged. He might be overly trying to find a way out of this situation, trying to find a way to bring control over his own life. That, earlier in the story, that, a, a case in point earlier in the story, which I didn't read, um, Daniel, uh, Daniel 
as we looked last week, when he hears that the king is out to kill all of the wise men, of which he was one, because he can't, they can't interpret the dream, he, he goes to Arioch, the commander of the guard, for Nebuchadnezzar, and says, the king, I, I, why is the king trying to kill us? Arioch tells him. He says, well, go to the king and tell him, I can, I'm, I'm willing to come and listen to him, and, and I'm, I, know, uh, I know a God who can, who can interpret things that are mysterious. And so Arioch, and so Arioch goes to the king, and you know what Arioch's message to the king was? I found this guy. I think he can interpret your dream. What's Arioch doing? He's, t- he's trying to steal power from the situation. He's trying, he's, you know, what, what the, the old adage of life is uh, shift all the blame and steal all the credit. That's the way you succeed. That's the way you build your kingdom. Shift all the blame off yourself and steal all the credit you can get and you will find safety, glory, and power. Arioch is living that system. Here Daniel is. I don't know what the dream means, but I know a God who he's always, he's always, throwing, he's always throwing glory on God. He's always throwing control away to him. He's always trying to find his safety in what God can provide. And Arioch takes all of that credit for himself and says, King, I got, I, you'll never forget, I found this guy. So Daniel is even at the mercy of his commanders. He's at the mercy of Nebuchadnezzar, but but he's not at their mercy because his roots weren't sunk into them. He's at God's mercy. He's got his life rooted in what God will provide. And this dream, I can't imagine how encouraging this dream must have been for Daniel because because he's saying, He's having it reminded him in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar from the man who was his oppressor is getting the message from God. This kingdom is meaningless, Daniel. This kingdom is meaningless. It has no power other than the power I give it for a temporary period of time. Can't provide you with power, can't provide you with glory, can't provide you with safety. But because you're rooted in my kingdom, you are powerful, you are safe, and you are glorious. That's why Daniel could live in Babylon and serve Babylon and care for that kingdom. He was a, he was a citizen of both kingdoms. But, but he could only be an effective citizen in the Babylon kingdom because he was, because he was an effective, faithful citizen of God's kingdom. Other, because if you're, not, if you're not rooted in God's kingdom, you become afraid, you become terrified, you become over, you, you either, if I'm, not, if I'm not rooted in God's kingdom, then my only response to the kingdoms and the circumstances of my life are either to, to pull myself too much out of it or dive too much into it. But because Daniel was rooted in God's kingdom, the rock that would grow into the whole world, that that's where he found his safety, that's where he found his identity, that's where he found his sense of power and control. He could effectively engage, serve, love, embrace the plight of the struggle that Nebuchadnezzar was in and never give in to it, but never be afraid to dive headlong into it. That's what God calls his people to. 
to be so rooted in the kingdom of heaven that is subversively operating in this world and that that is where my chief citizenship is, I can now, I can now effectively dive into a culture and into a life and into a world of circumstances around me and not be afraid that anything will happen to me, but also not be fooled, not be overly captivated by its power, control, and glory because my power, my control, my glory, my safety is found in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you remind us again and again for our own, for our own uh, humility, for our own sense of, of uh, safety and, and understanding that the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of our own making are frivolous, empty, powerless. But that you, O oh Lord, are filling the earth with a different kingdom, one of hope, one that is everlasting, one that is ruled by a, a sovereign, merciful God. Father, I pray that we might find our hope in you and thus become useful servants to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.